We're going to come from Joshua chapter 5 into Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and into Joshua chapter 6, and uh, some verses from that chapter 2. Thank you, Diego, for praying and reading with us this morning. Really, really appreciate your involvement. Joshua chapter 5, reading from verse 13 and onwards. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army <coughs> replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, <coughs> Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city. Sorry, verse 15. Marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around... When the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. For the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. I want to talk to you this morning on... <clears throat> A borrowed title, if I may. The title is Gateway Moments. There's nothing new under the sun, <coughs> but I borrowed the title. A little while ago, I was using YouTube. I love the internet. I love surfing on YouTube. 
and obviously at my age now it's called silver surfing, uh, as you'll um, acknowledge, I'm sure. But um, Alex has set lots of codes and protection in my computer, so I can't just surf on whatever I want or, or anything like that. It's all protected and it's all really, really safe. But I was surfing on one particular day and up came um, some recommended um, uh, videos on the right-hand side. And one of them was by a man called um, what is it? Sean White. Sean White from Gateway Church in New Jersey. And uh, I don't know anything about Sean White. I don't know anything about Gateway Church. But what I noticed was that the title of, title of their videos was Gateway Moments. <clears throat> and as I happened, I was reading through Joshua 5 and Joshua 6 at the time. And it struck me as a, a wonderful thing to think about, that Joshua and the people of Israel were at a gateway moment in their life. Chapter 6 and verse 1 reads like this, The gates of the city were securely barred. So for Joshua and Israel, God had brought them to a gateway moment in their life, a gateway moment in their history, a gateway moment in his purposes for them and as a people. And how they responded in the gateway moment was absolutely vital. God wanted them to take territory. He wanted them to advance. He wanted them to move forward in his purposes. And um, so they were at this gateway moment, which is really, really vital for them. And how they responded was so important. And I think there are gateway moments in the life of every Christian and every fellowship. Moments of opportunity and of challenge. Moments that God brings us to that require a response and they require action in our hearts and lives. And how we respond and how we act is of vital importance in those moments. There are different types of gateway moment that we face and different types that are there in Scripture. I think about Genesis chapter 19 and the story of Lot at the gateway of the city of Sodom. It was a terrible place, but somehow he was at the gateway, probably amongst the elders and the leaders of the city, the decision makers. And three men walk towards the city gates. And the Bible tells us that they are angelic beings. I don't know whether Lot knew that at the time, but he does what is expected of him. In his culture, he is supposed to invite them into his house, to give them a meal, to look after them, wash their feet perhaps, to protect them and keep them safe, give them a bed for the night. And so he approaches them and he says, come to my house, let me feed you, let me look after you. He's doing the right thing. And they decline at first. They say, no, we'll try and make a further journey on. But he's insistent, uh, it, along with his culture, no, please come to my house. And in that gateway moment, they agree, they come and stay in his house. And as you read this tragic sto story further on, you discover <clears throat> that because he made the right choice in that gateway moment, those three men were there to protect him and his family from a bloodthirsty and depraved crowd of people who came to the door of his home. It was a gateway moment. He made a good choice. I think about the story of Ruth and Boaz. If you know the story, Ruth and Naomi have returned pretty much destitute to the city of Bethlehem, Naomi's home city. They have really nothing to offer anybody. But in Israel, there's a law that says, if you have a kinsman who is wealthy, he may buy you and your property, property that's in your name, and then he will do so to redeem you and to give you a hope and a future. And in that town is a man called Boaz. Boaz and Ruth meet 
it's clear from the story that they fall in love. And Boaz wants to be the kinsman redeemer. He wants to buy the land of Elimelech. He wants Naomi. He wants Ruth as his wife. But there's someone else who's got first call in the picking order. There's someone ahead of him. And so he goes to the city gate where the legal transactions are made and he sits with the man and he says, do you know that the estate of our brother Elimelech is to become available and you can buy it? And the man says, great, I'll buy it. Fantastic. And then Boaz says, thing is, if you buy the estate, you have to take Ruth the Moabites as your wife. And the man says, it's in the scripture, he says, then I can't inherit the land. The Bible doesn't say this, but I suspect in Boaz's heart, it goes, yes! (laughs) And Boaz takes off his sandal, which is the sign of making a legal agreement. And he says, then I will buy the land and I will take Ruth the Moabites to be my wife. What a picture of redemption. Here is a woman with absolutely nothing and no hope for the future. And she becomes the husband of a man with land and with ability to provide for her. More than that, when you read Matthew's gospel, she comes into the human ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's redemption. I don't care who you are this morning or what your background is. I don't care whether you've come from a marriage that broke up many, many years ago or even recently for which other people blame you, but you know it wasn't your fault. Maybe you've even crept into church this morning. You haven't wanted to talk to anybody or tell anybody your story and you carry the blame. But I want you to know that according to God's word, he is a redeemer. He retakes people who have been beaten down. He takes people who have been... uh, exposed to all kinds of things and he redeems and restores them and he brings them into his own very family and that is your identity this morning as we've just sung if you give your life to Christ you are not the person who got divorced years ago that people are blaming you for you're not the person who has done this or done that in the past all that is dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ you are who he says you are you are a child of the most high God redeemed by the blood of the lamb you see gateway moments are serious moments they're moments that God brings us to they're moments when God calls us to align our lives with his heart and with his purposes and what we do in those moments is of vital importance let me just pick up some points as we continue to press through this passage first of all let me say this on this occasion God invited them to fight from the place of victory Joshua 6.1, the gates of the city were securely barred. No one came in, no one came out. Joshua must have been going, how are we going to do this? And yet God says in verse 2, see, I have given this city into your hands. They are fighting from the place of victory. God has already said, I am going to give you the city. But in this gateway moment, there is a response that is required in their hearts. They're required to obey. And we read out in the passage some of the instructions that God gives them. Don't do it this way. Do it that way. Don't shout until the seventh day. Keep quiet. You have to obey the instructions that I give you. I've promised you victory, but that victory is dependent on how you live on the moments between. Pastor Ruth, Pastor Final. Yes, Pastor Ruth as well. I'll tell you, when they were pastoring, she did as much pastoring as anybody else in BCC and we love you and appreciate the fact that you're both here again this morning 
Pastor Lionel Ruth uh, were with me and the other pastors in a conference some years ago in which the speaker talked about liminal places, liminal moments. And what he meant was this, it's the place between one thing ending and something else beginning. So sometimes we come to the end of a job and there's a new job ahead of us, perhaps seven days or ten days ahead, and there's this liminal space, this space in between one thing finishing and something else starting. And I want to say to you that how we live in those spaces is of vital importance. There was a liminal moment in the lives of the children of Israel. God said, I'm taking you out of Egypt and I'm giving you the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land, because I'm promising it to you. And there was this space in between, leaving one and coming into another. Do you know that journey should have taken 14 days? But because they failed to trust, because they rebelled, because they argued, they lost the 14 days and there were 40 years in that liminal space that they didn't need to be. When we get invited to a gateway moment by God, whether it's challenging, whether the gates are locked or not, whether it's barred against us or not, how we live between God's word, his promise to us, and us entering the city is really vitally important. And we know that from our own experience as a fellowship. We know that when Sharon Stone prophesied in 1999 that God was going to bring in bulldozers, knock down buildings and build something completely new that we couldn't envisage, we knew that we trusted that God was going to do that. It took nearly 17 years to take place and we had to continue to press in, continue to pray, continue to live for God in the liminal moment between the word of God being declared and the outcome being established. We have a partnership with him in those things to say they fought from the place of victory. We don't always know the victory from the, from the beginning. Sometimes we're called to do things by God and we have no idea what the outcome will be. Like the Old Testament prophets who prophesied the very word of God and the people rejected them. But when God tells us what he's going to do, what we, how we live between the word coming and the word being fulfilled is of vital importance. They fought from that place of victory. Secondly, I want to say this. Gateway moments cause us to acknowledge that God is Lord. God is Lord. Well, I think so anyway. I think God is Lord. And so do three others. We're in political turmoil in our country. I want to say this to you. I think it's really important who is elected to lead this time and in the future. But I also pray with all my heart because I believe whoever is in charge, God can actually use that person. Even if we can't stand them, God can use them. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. <laughs> Even if we can't stand them, God is able to use them for the extension of his kingdom. And, and that's why we shouldn't be hopeless. Even though it might feel that way, what we should be doing is praying and seeking God and calling on him to have his way in the lives of our leaders. Now what happens in verse 14 is that Joshua looks up. And he sees a man with a drawn sword. And like the warrior he is, Joshua walks up to him and says, Are you for us or, or are you against us? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And it's very interesting because in your passage of your scripture, it will say, I think in verse 14, that the reply is neither. 
Are you for us or against us? The answer is neither. But actually in the Hebrew, every single commentary I read said that's not the right translation. The word should be no. So, it's a strange conversation. Are you for us or are you against us? No. And actually what he's saying is, actually no, I am the commander of the Lord's army. That's who I am. And very probably what is meant, one commentator in particular highlights this. He says the answer is no, suggesting that that might not be the question that needs to be asked. The question that might need to be asked in that moment is not is God with them, but are they with God? You see, there are moments in our lives when we have fresh opportunities. We might have a job interview that we go to and we say, God, please will you be with us in this job interview? Or we've got a journey to make. It's a difficult, challenging journey. And we say, God, please, will you be with us in this journey? And we love it when God is with us. But I want to say to you this morning, God loves it when we are with him. And it's very easy not to be with God and his purposes, but somehow to want God to fulfill our dreams, our desires. It's easy for us to live in that kind of way. And I want to encourage you this morning to be able to answer that question. If the Lord would to, were to ask you that question, are you for him? Are you for us or against us? God says, are you for me? Are you fulfilling my purposes? Is your heart after me? Conversation goes on. I believe that this person was probably the pre-incarnate Christ. That's to say the eternal Lord Jesus before he was born in human form there are reasons for that in the passage that we don't have time to go into but joshua throws himself on the ground and he asks the question what message has my lord got for his servant you see if we are for god those are the kind of questions we'll ask we're ever so used to asking god to bless and do for us what we want him to do for us but here's a different kind of approach what message has my lord got for his servant in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, the Mount of Transfiguration, that marvellous passage with Jesus and Peter and James and John, and then Elijah shows up, and then Moses shows up, and Peter is so carried away, and he says, let's build some booths here. Let's make this permanent. Let's build somewhere we can live. It's great that we're all here together, and the atmosphere is wonderful, and the presence of God is incredible. Let's build somewhere where we can all stay and be together. And a voice comes from heaven, and it says this, this is my son, hear him. I don't think this is what is intended, but it's kind of like, cut the cackle, Peter. You're doing a lot of talking. But right now, you need to listen to what I'm saying. In gateway moments, friends, we need to ask, what message has the Lord got for his servant? Look at this, what message has the Lord got? In the gateway moment, we need to acknowledge that God is Lord. Say a bit more about that in just a moment. He is Lord. He is not just an aid to a better life for you and me. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so our response to him must be on that basis. And then the third thing, what message has my Lord got for his servant? For his servant. Again, in a moment, I want to say a bit more 
about a servant heart. But I remember being in a meeting here uh, last year in BCC with Malcolm Duncan, and he was addressing a whole room of pastors, and he, he said to us, guys, I want you to understand before I even start that not one of you in this room will rise to above the rank of under-shepherd to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of you will rise above the rank of under-shepherd to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true. If, if we're Bible teachers, we'll never rise above the rank of under-teacher to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if we're prophets, we'll never rise above the position of under-prophet to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord, we are his servants. And that's so key. At gateway moments, we need to know that we are for God we're for his purposes and we're for his kingdom. Thirdly, in gateway moments, we need to remember that God is holy. God is holy. Joshua asks the question, what message does my Lord have for your servant? I suspect he's asking for strategy. How do we do this? How do we get into the city which is barred against us? You know, what, what instructions are you going to give us? But before they get to any kind of strategy, the angel of the Lord, the servant of God, says, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And I believe it's holy ground because God was presencing himself there with them. That's why I believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ. Take off your shoes, this is holy ground. Here's Joshua at a gateway moment in his life, in the life of the nation that God has called him to. And God's first strategy is take off your shoes. I found myself asking the question, why would that be? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for us as a community of followers of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? Here are some thoughts. First of all, I believe it speaks of a call to personal holiness. A call to personal holiness. You see, shoes... Sandals, they collect the dirt and the cont contamination of the world in which we live. There are things that we pick up as we travel on our journey through life every single day of the week. And when they are removed, they don't bring the contamination of the world where we're walking. Have you ever had that thing where you've got a new carpet laid in your lounge and hall? It's light. And, and you're really thrilled with it. It costs you a lot of money. And then some friends come. And they've got loads of mud on their shoes. They don't see it, and you do. And there's a battle going on, you know, in your, your Christian heart and thinking. You're thinking, it's only a carpet. One day, I'll leave it behind anyway. Why should I worry about it? And the other half's thinking, I paid a several hundred quid for that. Can't they see? And there's a battle going on. The truth is, what we bring in on our shoes can contaminate, spoil, and make dirty. And friends, there are things that contaminate our spiritual lives. And with God's help, we are responsible for removing them. I know that we're washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul talks to us about putting off the old and putting on the new. We need to be responsible sometimes for removing the things that are on our shoes. For taking off what is contaminated as we come before a holy God. For not just thinking it's okay to come in as we want to. Stephen Mathewson writes in his commentary on Joshua. He says this, with the privilege of God's presence comes the need to respect 
God's holiness. With the privilege of God's presence comes the need to respect God's holiness. And I think there are some people who do not make progress in their Christian life because they are sorry but not repentant enough to take off their dirty shoes. They're sorry, but they're not repentant. And so the pattern of sin in their life never breaks. It carries on again and again and again, year in, year out. And they're really sorry, but they're not repentant enough to take off the dirty shoes in the presence of a holy God. I spent time with a man in the office here just recently who is currently serving a prison sentence and who wanted my help. And I gave him what help I could. It was all verbal in his particular uh, case. But I left the meeting thinking this. I don't think he is in any way sorry for the offence that he has committed. But I think he's very sorry that he got caught. There's a difference between sorrow and repentance. Sorrow says, I'm really sorry I got caught. Repentance says, I am never going that way again with God's help. I'm turning from the way I once walked. And I'm walking in God's direction in the power of the Holy Spirit from that time on. And I think, friends, that there is, this could be a picture of taking off our shoes, taking off our sandals, so to speak. The need to remove what we know is contaminating our walk and personal relationship with a God who is holy. It's time to take off the shoes, to walk in God's direction. It's the easiest thing in the world for you to raise your hands in here on Sunday morning, if I may say this very lovingly to you this morning, and then to go back to a relationship that you shouldn't be having after this service. Forgive me for being frank. This God is holy. This God is holy. It's time to take off your shoes if that applies to you in the presence of a holy God. Secondly, perhaps the action of removing shoes makes us vulnerable before God, perhaps. Doesn't say so in the passage. Just thinking around it. Last year, Melanie and I went down to Studland Bay in Dorset and we swam in the sea there and we paddled as well. And embarrassingly, we both paddleboarded. I never got to stand up once and Mel went from one end to the other, standing up perfectly well. And it's not great when your wife embarrasses you in front of hundreds of other sunbathers, but there we go. But between paddling and actually swimming, there was a band of really sharp shingle. And so we had to walk through the sharp shingle to get to the place where we could swim. And there were loads of people paddle boarding and in boats and in yachts and all sorts of things. And on the shingle, it just was so painful. We couldn't move fast. You know, it's that kind of ginger step. There's little kids running by without any problem. And, and you're gingerly stepping from one place to another because it really hurts in your feet. And you're thinking, I feel vulnerable because if one of those floats comes straight at me, there is no way I can move quickly out of the way. I felt vulnerable with no shoes on. I don't know what it was like where Joshua met with the commander of the armies of the Lord but maybe it was a place where with sandals off, he couldn't run quite quickly. I don't know, I'm just surmising. It doesn't say so in the scripture. Maybe he made himself vulnerable to the Lord. Michael Jankowski in his book, The Sacred Year, talks about studying an apple. And he says, if you've got a red apple like this one, you can see it from such a distance if it's in a green tree. You don't need to get close, you can see it from a distance. But if you want to know what an apple's like, for example, if you want to hear the noise it makes when it drops to the ground, you've got to get a lot closer and let it drop to the ground and listen for the noise. 
Then he says, if you want to know what an apple t- feels like, it's got to be arm's length. You've got to bring it within arm's length and feel the skin and the texture and the shape of the apple. But if you want to smell it, you have to bring it right into the center of where your senses are, sight and smell and taste. And you've got to bring it right up here in order to be able to to smell the apple. But if you want to taste it, you've got to make yourself incredibly vulnerable. You've got to open your mouth and you've got to take it right in I tell you I ate a much bigger piece in first service I was in real trouble my point is this sometimes we need to make ourselves vulnerable to God in Psalm 139 David makes himself vulnerable before God you know the words he says search me O God and know my anxious heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I'm not coming to you from a distance. I'm not even coming to you from arm's length. I'm inviting you up close and personal to speak into my life, to look into my life, to examine my life, and to speak to me about those things which need to change in Andy Lancaster, in order for me to fulfill the purposes of God in my life. Perhaps to remove our shoes is to make us vulnerable to God. Finally, it might speak of a servant heart. I can't prove it. But Barclay, in his New Testament commentary on Luke, New Testament, not Old Testament, Leon Morris, in his commentary on the same passage, George Mitchell, in his book on Joshua, quote Jewish sources to support the idea that sometimes servants didn't have shoes, only sons had shoes. Perhaps, and I can't be certain about this, but perhaps the command to remove the shoe was a test of servanthood. You see, a servant heart is vital in a gateway moment, in submitting to God's will and purpose and hearing what God is saying and being able to fulfill what God wants us to do. A servant heart is vital. The problem is, for very many of us, when we get a little bit confident, we think we can do things in our own strength, and the servant heart can disappear. It's a spirit of humility that we need. James, the brother of Jesus, in his book in the New Testament, could have written all kinds of things, like James, the brother of Jesus. James, who knew Jesus from when he was a little boy to the time that he was crucified, and saw him afterwards as a resurrected son of God. He could have written any of those things, but at the beginning of his book, he writes, James, a servant of Jesus Christ. His revelation of who Jesus was caused him to serve his brother with all his heart because he knew he was more than just a brother. He was the risen son of God. And the other brother, Jude, who also writes in the New Testament, he has the same beginning. Jude, a servant. Not Jude, a brother. Not Jude, listen to my words, because I'm Jude, the brother of Jesus, and I know what I'm talking about. No, it's Jude. A servant of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's true to say that when God brings us to a gateway moment in our lives or as a church, we will need a servant heart to see God's purpose fulfilled. Gateway moments. We'll face them in the future if we're not facing them now. 
gateway moments, we'll face them individually. And let me tell you, as a church, we will face gateway moments again in the future, which are very important. And how we live when those gateway moments come and before will be of vital importance. And so my prayer would be this. May the Lord help us to be ready to hear his voice. May the Lord help us to bow our knee because he is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. May the Lord grant us grace to discard the dirty sandals from our feet in his holy presence. May the Lord cause us to serve him wholly. And in the gateway moment, may we fight from the place of victory for our blessing, but for his glory. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord together right now. And as we do so, I want to encourage you to come before the Lord and to just bless him with your praise and with your worship. And if there's things that need aligning in your life, there's sandals that need taking off, take them off this morning. Give them to him. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord. We've got time this morning to worship him. Lift up our voices to him. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for his grace in our lives. Thank him for redeeming us. Thank him that in the gateway moments and in every moment, God will be with us. And remember this morning, God is for you in Jesus' name. <laughs>